This series, it has been, uh, you guys have been enjoying this series? Amen. I know I've been enjoying it as well. So uh, we're just excited. Um, today, I've got a message title for you today as One Love. One Love. See, one of the most common desires that human beings have is for love. Y'all quiet. Act like y'all don't want somebody to love you. <laughs> everybody wants to be loved by somebody. Everybody wants to be loved. Um, no matter whether it's romantic love or friendship love or family love, like you want people to love you. Love me. I want somebody to love me, please. The Bible has much to say about love um, and the different kinds of love that we, ex- that we experience uh, in our relationships. And, and the heart and theme of the Bible itself is love. Specifically, God's love for humankind. Uh, that resulted in him, what? Sending his son into the world to die for us. That's a different, different kind of love. But the Bible makes this unique revelation, too, about God. And it says that God himself, his very nature, is love. Amen. So Jesus is going to, he explains for us how to love God, how to love our neighbor, how to love ourselves, uh, and how we should prioritize that within our lifestyle. So today, join me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. And I'll be reading um, from the Christian Standard Bible here. So we'll be up here for you on the screens if you don't have your Bible with you. So y'all all right? All right, all right, let's do it, let's do it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Y'all pray for me for my voice this morning. Um, It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable or corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky And brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So then here goes the Lord. In his infinite ways, he caused a deep sleep to come over the man. Pretty sure it wasn't that hard to do. Because men, we like to sleep. Amen. And he slept. And then God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman. And brought her to the man. Amen. I hear brothers getting excited in here today. (laughs) And the man said, this one at last. Somebody say at last. Some of y'all need to say again, at last. (laughs) It's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. 
the one, this one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds or cleaves to his wife. And they become one flesh. But the man and his wife were naked. Yet felt no shame. They was naked, y'all. Not naked, they was naked. (laughs) Father, thank you, God. Thank you for your word this morning, God. I pray, Lord, that you would that you would stand in my body, God, and think through my mind and speak through my mouth. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in whom I place my trust. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And the whole church said, Amen. See, when it comes to romance and the perfect marriage, right? We aren't lacking the ability to be able to see what our culture thinks about it. Novels and soap operas and the infamous chick flicks, um, which allow us to indulge ourselves in all of these lovey-dovey situations. See, marriage, though, is heavily represented in the media, but it's not always shown in the best light. See, the love a married man and married woman have between them is special because it involves a large number of choices between them. As as stated throughout this whole series, I've been talking about true love is not solely based on what? It's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your emotions. But love is a choice. And hear me, it's a choice to put aside your emotions and to put aside yourself and what you might think a person might deserve and love them in spite of that. So in marriage, we choose to love our partner permanently and intimately towards the goal of becoming one. Bob Marley sang a song called One Love. He sang, one love, one heart. Let's get together and feel all right. But I love what he says in the verse there, floating down a little bit. He says, give thanks and praise to the Lord and you'll feel all right. Saying, let's get together and we'll feel all right. I believe that Bob Marley, that great prophet, I believe he understood one thing, that love calls us together. Oh, maybe you didn't hear me. He said that love calls us together. See, and when we look at this love and when we look at the type of love that God is calling us to, the first thing that we must recognize is we must recognize what God is forming in us through this type of love. Join me in verse 18. It says, and then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. See, God wants us to see the benefit of 
having a community around us, number one, but he also wants us to see the benefit of communion with him. And see, when we see this type of benefit that comes from living in love and not being alone and living woven, as we say here at Epiphany, when we see the benefit of that, we get drawn into this reality that what we have is valuable when we have it together. See, it is prosperous for us to live woven with other believers. See, it's beneficial for us to live united together as one. Hey, shout out to the newlyweds. They in here. Hey, welcome back, y'all. Y'all all all brown and toasty. Both of y'all, I see y'all. Y'all got y'all tan on and everything like that. That's what's up. Welcome back, Mr. and Mrs. Bradbury. They back. So, listen, it... It's valuable for us not to be alone. See, this word, alone, this word here, this is crazy. The word for alone here is the Hebrew word bad. Like, it's pronounced bad. Like, that's the word. So, it's crazy for us that for us to be alone is a bad thing. Anybody understand what I'm saying? Like, nobody want to be alone. It's not good. It's not good to be alone. It's bad. The Hebrew says it's bad to be alone. So I want you to see here this separation that that Jesus, that, that God is referring to here in this passage about us not being connected to something. He's showing us, but this is interesting. How could Adam be alone when God was with him? See, that's the question we have to ask ourselves, because oftentimes we get so caught up in what the work is that we're doing that we forget about community and and the fact that we have to commune with God. See, Adam was he was he was working and he was doing and he was doing things that God had told him to do. Uh, And you might be saying the same thing here, too. I'm just doing what God told me to do because I'm doing what God told me to do. Therefore, I don't really have the time to get connected with other people. And and if you're saying that, I want to point you to this reality here is that oftentimes, to quote Peace Cazero when we went through emotionally healthy spirituality, oftentimes we use God to run from God. We say things like, well, I've got a greater vision from the Lord. We say things like, I've got a bigger calling than that. Well, it's interesting that God wants you to have a calling, but he wants you to have it within the context of community. See, you can't use the excuse of doing God's work to skip out of community. You can't use the excuse of doing God's work to skip out, even more importantly, on communion with him. You get so caught up and trapped in doing what God called you to do and what God told you to do and living your best life and doing all that kind of stuff that you forget to commune with the one who gave you the insight and the vision in the first place. But God is saying here, because this, this word indicates for us uh, about being alone, is figuratively it talks about the chief of a city. So God is saying that it's not good for you to be the master of your own ship. God's saying it is not good for you to be the chief of your own city. So he goes on to say, listen, because of that, it's not because it's not good. Here's what I'm going to do. 
He's saying that I will make a helper for you. See, God will prepare and fashion what you need so that you will not be alone. Listen to me. If you're single, God is preparing what you need so that you will not be alone. See, if it, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about another person. See, if, if you feel called to singleness, God has ordained what you need so that you will not be alone. See, the, the prohibition there was not that, 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 God would, that, that God would automatically give you another person all the time, but God is saying he'll give you what you need so that you won't be alone. And some of us need to grasp that reality because we're so caught up all the time thinking, I just need somebody. I just need to be with somebody. But God is saying to you, listen, when you're in Christ, when you're in me, I've given you what you need so that you won't be alone. So God, is, he, he, he's, he's calling them here. He's, he's showing them that he's showing us that, that he's ordained for us everything that we need so that we don't have to find ourselves being alone in this life. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need a man. That don't necessarily mean that you need a chick. Like it means that you need to dive in and dig deep into a relationship with God the Father. So he says here, though, I will make, God is saying here that I am going to fashion and prepare for you a helper. See, this is, this here helper here, God is referring to one who is a support in the time of hardship and distress. See, this, this word is used in the archaic sense to, to, to point to a reinforcement of the troops. Like when your back is against the wall and the enemies are coming after you and things are getting hard, God is saying here that I will prepare for you some reinforcements that will have your back. See, it's nothing like having people in your life that's got your back. It's nothing like having people in your life that are committed to you and that will stand with you and who will say, I've got your back no matter what. But I want to point us here to this passage here because Jesus, God is looking here at Adam, his creation, the one who he made and who one who gave a, he gave a vision to and an assignment to. And he's telling, he's saying to him that it's not good for you to alone. Therefore, I'm going to fashion a helper for you. See, this, this word here, and this, this is talking about who he's going to create for Adam, who he's going to make for Adam, which is Eve. Uh, but it, it, this word here is used 21 some odd times in the Old Testament. Four of those, three of those times, it's used to refer to the wife or the woman, Eve. But the 18 other times that this word is used, it is used of God. So listen here, fellas. I want you to hear this, those of you that are married in here, and those of you that are looking to be married. When God gives you a wife, he gives you a piece of himself. Listen, I know some married folks in here that can attest in here, brothers. Y'all got to do a little better than that. Because when God gave you your good thing, he gave you a piece of himself. See, there were some things that you were walking around and running into before God gave you a wife that you was doing bad, bro. Like you was doing real bad before God sent your wife into your life. 
And some of you are doing pretty bad right now. Uh, and, and what you need in your life is you need somebody that's going to step in ordained from God to help you get your stuff together. So you're doing okay, right? You got your little stuff going on, but you're not really getting down to the deep stuff that God wants you to get down to. And see, sometimes, and here's what I know about being married, is that marriage brought levels of sanctification into my life that I didn't even know that I needed. See, I was at the top of the food chain where I was, and I was the cream of the crop. Like, coming from my family in Camden, where we came from, like, I was it. Like, I was the one, and I thought I was the one. I thought I was it. And then God sent my sweet old wife and said, hey, buddy, (laughs) bring that on down. You all right, but you ain't all that. She said it nicely. She said it very nicely. (laughs) Listen, this help here, I want, you to, I want us to see this, this help. This help is used of God here. And God, it, this word is used of God 18 times in the Old Testament. And I want you to see uh, that, that when God uses this word of the woman, he's saying, to you as, he's saying to you, men, that what I'm going to give you, what I'm going to set you up with, is going to be something that's going to assist you in this life. Someone asked me one time why I always look to the right when I'm preaching my right so y'all be confused my right I said because that's where my help is my help is on this side and if I need support up here I know where to look see if, if you here's what I'm saying if you knew the hardship and stress though If you knew the hardship and stress that the enemy tries to plague me with while I'm up here and while I'm in this preaching moment, you would understand what I'm talking about. See, I'm standing here today full of grief in my heart. I'm standing up here today. This is this marks two years since since my aunt who who raised me. She passed away. Today's the day of that. She died at the age of 49. Today marks two years since that happened. And listen, I woke up this morning and the enemy was trying to plague my mind and plague my heart with some thoughts and some craziness that that just wasn't working for me. And I was just laying in the bed and I said, listen, babe, I'm good with the sermon, but emotionally I'm not doing great. And see, because God has designed her to be my help, I know where to look when I'm up here preaching. See, hardship and distress, they're raw in preaching the word of God. See, you, you, some people think that this microphone is something special, but it comes with some stuff. See, you've, you've got to minister to people when your life is in shambles. You've, you've got to, you've got to, to be a, a, a communicator and a leader to people when all they can see at times is your flaws as a leader. He didn't pronounce that Greek word correctly. He, he talks too much about mission. He don't talk enough about mission. See, all the various things that come after you, see, you've got to know where your help is. And the thing that helps me make it through while I'm up here is the physical representation of embodiment of God's help smiling at me every single time I'm up here preaching. And see, ladies, if you aren't prepared to be that kind of help to somebody, then you need to stay off of Instagram in your husband hunting clothes. Uh Uh-oh, I I wasn't supposed to say that. See, and here's the kind of help that God is calling you to be. 
Exodus 18.4 says that the God of my father was my helper and he rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Do you strive to rescue in the relationship? Or are you, are you another enemy coming after in the relationship? Psalm 75, he says that I was oppressed and needy and you hurried to me. You were my help and my deliverer, Lord. You did not delay. Do you attempt to relieve the oppression of those that you're in relationship with? Or do you cause more oppression? And this one I love, Psalm 40, Psalm 146 and 5 says, happy are the ones, or happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. Are you, are you in a relationship? Are those you're in a relationship with, are they happy as a result of being in a relationship with you? Or are they hopeless because you aren't being a help to them? And this is the kind of help that you got to be prepared to be. Because, listen, this word, this is the same word. It's not a different word. It's the same word that's used for the woman in, 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 in Genesis chapter 2. It's the same word that's used of God here in these passages. So what does that mean? It means that you have to operate and walk inside of the same thing that God is when you are called to this word. Ladies, I'm trying to help you this morning. Is that you've got to be a help. You can't be a burden all the time because you haven't checked your attitude. You can't be a burden because you don't, you don't get what you want all the time, so you're going to start pouting. Maybe it's too much. I'm going. When you decide that when, when God has created you, and listen, and here's what I want to communicate to you. God has designed women in a particular way. I know the culture tries to tell you otherwise, but God has designed women in a particular way. And that's beautiful. It's not restricting. It's not, it's not holding you back from nothing. God has created you in a certain way. And because he's created you in that way, you've got to align yourself with the way that he's created you. You've got different personalities and all that stuff. That's amazing. You've got all types of different things that you like to do, and women can do anything. They're powerful. They're mighty. Women, listen to me. You can do anything. But God has designed you uniquely. And the word here, he says that, that he's saying that he wants you to be a helper corresponding. God's going to make a helper that is corresponding. The word can also mean suitable. See, Men, this, this kind of woman is one that has to be corresponding to you. Here's what I mean. You can't have this type of woman and treat her like she's beneath you. You, you can't have this type of woman and treat her like she doesn't exist. This word means that she's a counterpart in other words, she's a running mate with you. See, she's not some side piece that you hold on your arm and show off when you go out and hit the streets. 
That's not what she is, bro. She is a counterpart to you. The word means is that she is opposite of you. So here's what that means. It's like you walking up to a mirror and standing in front of it and seeing the image that is reflected in front of you. That's what God is saying. And, and he goes on. He's going he's to make it a little more clear as he goes on because he says they, they're going to become one flesh. They're going to be like one. I'm going to move. So it says here, here it says that after the Lord said, I'm going to make a helper corresponding to him, to him he's, it says that the Lord God then formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird in the sky and brought each to the man. Wait a minute. What happened? Though God said he was going to make a helper corresponding to him. See, the realization of your loneliness doesn't automatically lead to the materialization of a relationship. See, the, just because you realize, just because you have a realization that you're feeling a little lonely and that you're feeling a little, a little, little out and a little alone, that doesn't necessarily mean that God is going to get ready to throw a relationship at you. You think just because you're lonely that you need to be in a relationship. But God wants to do something in your loneliness. See, there are things that God wants to form and fashion in your loneliness that you won't be able to do while you're in a relationship. See, there's some things that God needs to to fashion and frame around you in order for you to walk in the God-ordained purpose that he has for you before he leads you into a relationship. Some of you aren't going to like this. But if you're having a hard time discovering your partner, God might be saying, I need you to spend a little bit more time discovering your purpose. See, some of you spend so much time and energy trying to find a mate that you'll do anything and you'll be doing things that take you outside of your purpose in order to find a partner. But God says, I care more about you discovering your purpose than I care about you discovering a partner. Here's why. Let me help you. You can have the wrong partner and the right purpose and still accomplish great things for God. Check the New Testament where where Paul told them to pray for their husbands, even though they don't believe. There was no prohibition there that you got to have a, a, a godly something, right? That your husband's got to be all, all this and all that. These were women who had, who, had, who had come to know Jesus after they were already married. And so Jesus, Paul says to them, he says, listen, it's okay. Pray for them, but walk in your purpose. See, you can have the wrong partner and the right purpose and still accomplish great things for God. Let me be very clear. That does not mean go out and get some raggedy joker because you feel like God's got your purpose. Don't do that. Make sure that the one that you're walking with and the one that you've got is aligned with your purpose. And here's the very simple thing for your purpose. Your purpose should be to glorify God and lead a lifestyle of worship. 
That's all of our purpose. I don't care what iteration that takes for you. Your purpose is to lead a lifestyle of worship. So don't go around talking about, oh, yeah, well, I got somebody, but, you know, he don't really like Jesus like that. But it's okay because I'm walking in my purpose and, and I'm doing what God's telling me to do. Lion. Because here's what the reality is. If you have the wrong purpose, it doesn't matter who your partner is. You will find yourself outside of the will of God. Michael B. Jordan could be your man. But if you're not walking in the same purpose, somebody said, come on, Lord. (laughs) Hey, listen, you got to do what you got to do. I know his first cousin, if if any, no, I'm playing. I do. I know his first cousin. But y'all around here, you can have Michael B. Jordan. But if you don't have the right purpose, it won't matter. Here's the good part. Here's the good part. Here's the good part. Watch this. Watch this. He says that the Lord God formed out of the ground. See, The thing that God wants to form out of you is already inside of you. See, God took the same dirt that he used to create Adam and he created all this other stuff. See, so the thing that God wants to form out of you, the thing that God wants to do in you is already on the inside of you. We talk about this in Growth Track. We say that how can you discover your purpose? Where is your purpose at? Your purpose is already in your gifts and passions. It can already be found in your life experiences. Where the folks that took growth track at? Where y'all at? Y'all should know what I'm talking about. He says that it, we say that it's also in your pain. God will use all of those things, your gifts and passions, your life experiences, and your pain. He's going to use all of that to help you discover your purpose. And so the stuff that, that God wants to do is already on the inside of you already. So stop looking around to other things to discover your purpose. Don't Stop looking around to other things to discover the purpose that God has for you. Just look at what God has already placed on the inside of you. And that's why your relationships have fallen short. Because God won't let anybody downplay him by downplaying his creation. See... When, when you start looking for somebody to define you, when you start looking for somebody to complete you and all that fancy stuff that movies talk about and all that kind of stuff, I just want somebody to complete me. God says, stop looking for a spouse to define you when I've already given you my spirit to define you. So, so then God, he brought, he, he brought all the things that he had formed. He brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. See, God will present his accomplished work to you to see what you will call it. When you say, I need a spouse to complete me, 
God says, that's interesting because when I gave you new life in Christ, I already completed you. That's why God doesn't seem to be responsive when you're on the floor crying after a breakup, asking, how am I ever going to make it without them? See, God has already formed something in you. He's already giving you something on the inside of you. And here's what God does. He brings you this, he brings you this fulfillment, this thing that he's fulfilled and accomplished already so that he could see what you're going to call it. Are you going to say, I, I'm, I'm incomplete. You know, I, I, I'm just not good enough. I, 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 I'm too short. I'm too skinny. What are you going to call it? And see, God will put, here's what else what he'll do. God will put tough relational things in your life just so that he can inspect the value that you place on those relationships. See, when God says that he could see what Adam would call it, he's inspecting here. Do you value Big Booty Judy more than you value God? It's a legitimate question. Do you value the six-pack more than you value God? Do you value her lovely lady lumps more than you value God? Because if you do, I need to remind you of who the creator is. Versus the creation. If you're in awe of his creation, guess what? You better check out the creator. He's better. He's more beautiful. He's got it going on. And here's what happens. When a potter doesn't like the clay that is being formed, do you know what they do, they do, he does with it? You know what a potter does when he don't like what's being formed and shaped? He lets it collapse. So when God doesn't like what's being formed and shaped in the relationship that you have, here's what he'll do. He'll let it collapse. When you're putting your hope in, in relationships and when you're putting hope in a man or a woman, here's what God will do. He said, Whoop, I'll let it collapse. And you'll be wondering, things were going so good. What happened? Well, you were giving more value to the relationship than you were giving to God. See, he wants to see what you will call it. See, we, we run into the trap of appointing our relationship to the place in our heart where only God belongs. And when we do that, we endow our relationships with a power that God never intended for them to have over us. That's why you find yourself crying for three or four days after a relationship ended even though it ended because they were no good to you in the first place. It's because you endowed that relationship with more power than it should have had. I got to move. See, whatever you name a thing in your life will determine its glory or its weight in your life. 
If you look at this relationship and say, this is the relationship I've been longing for, and it's everything that I need, and you know what, I don't got to go to church that much no more because God, you know, I'm good, and you know, our relationship is great, and we're going to go to the beach on Sunday instead of going to church, and you know, we're just going to do this because we're just so in love, and we just love each other, and we want to be together all the time. Hold up. Be careful. My next idea is, is this, is that God will remove from your life in order to renew your love for him. See, he caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. See, God took possession. Watch this. He took possession of something from Adam that provided structural support for him. Your ribs support you. They help you breathe. They help you stand up straight. So God, he took possession of something that provided structural support for Adam. And he took that thing from Adam to see if Adam would place more value on that thing than he did on God. And if you know the story of the Bible, you know the story of the fall. That's what happened. Adam placed more value in his relationship with his wife than he did on the word of God. See, and then God closed up the place. See, God will force, this word means to surrender it. God will will force surrender, will force you to surrender to him in areas of your life that you are unwilling to release to him. So if you are in a relationship and, and, and God is, is saying to you, this is the, and, and I'm talking about any type of relationship. If you've got kids and you hold them up on the pedestal and you act like they're untouchable, even to God, we don't want God to touch our kids. Come on, we'd be honest. We need to ask the question, does God have anything to say about my life and do you really believe that god has something to say about your life but god will force you to surrender to him the areas in your life that you are unwilling to release to him and god will go into the places watch this where you feel ashamed and he will begin to fashion and build something inside of you that you couldn't have imagined because you were holding on to this thing because you felt shame about it. And God's saying, that's the very thing that I want to use. So then God, he, he, he formed all of this stuff. And then God made a woman. He made a woman. So after he caused a deep sleep to fall over him, God took one of his ribs, he closed it up at the place, and then the Lord made out of that same rib he had taken from the man, he made it into a woman. The woman is the opposite of a man. That's the definition for this word. Woman, opposite of a man. See, you think you need someone that's exactly like you. You think that you need somebody, men, 
that's going to compliment you all the time, not compliment you. You want somebody to compliment you, compliment with an I, and not somebody that's going to compliment you, compliment with an E. See, you're looking for somebody who's going to give you statements of praise and gestures of respect and honor all the time. Men, we've got egos. We want somebody that's going to build our ego up all the time. Stroke you a little bit. Tell you how great you are. Tell you how handsome you are. Ooh, you so strong. All this, this, look at him. Look at my man. He's strong. Look at him. You want all that? You want the stroking? But God is looking at you. God is looking to give you someone who will complete the deficiencies that you have by providing you with healthy critique when necessary. So you need some healthy critique in your life, men. You need some healthy critique. And I tell men all the time, I say, lean into the pressure. Lean into it. Don't run from it. Lean into that pressure. And see, the reality is, what my, my, my brother in the faith, he says, that the realization is, is that men, we don't like to feel conviction by ourselves. When we get convicted, we want to bring other people into it. Well, nah, because if you said, well, you did this. Hold up. Listen to what God is trying to say and do in you in your life. Stop looking for somebody that's just going to stroke you all the time. You need somebody that, that's going to be a compliment to you. And God built the woman for you, hear me, so that he could build you up. She's the opposite of you. You just don't want, see, you just want to sit back and chill. You just want to chill first. You, you just want to lay back like, you know, like the house is in shambles, but, you know, uh, our credit is a wreck and, you know, everything is just falling apart. But hey, let's just chill. But she's over there saying, no, nah, baby, let's just get it done and get it out of the way. Because you never know what might come up while we're waiting and chilling. This was real in my life this week. <laughs> Listen. You might freak out when things get crazy. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? And she's saying, baby, let's just think through this thing. Because I'm confident in you as the leader of our household to be able to seek God for the direction that we need. Ladies, learn how to talk to your man like that. And watch the results that God starts to produce. See, when you learn how to speak and when you learn how to talk the right way and give the criticism with some sugar, you can catch more flies with honey, the vinegar. So learn how to talk to them. And listen, you're like, I ain't about to be fake. I ain't about to be out here pretending like he's doing everything he's supposed to. I feel you. I feel you. But watch God, Gideon, standing, hiding at the threshing floor, hiding out from the enemy. And God says, mighty man of valor, 
Where are you? Oh, mighty man of valor. I told you, I told us early in the, in the series is that love looks like looking past what the person is presently doing to see what God is doing on the inside of them. So when you're able to look past what's going on and see who God really has created and formed them to be, then you'll be able to really love that person and you'll be able to really love them the way that God is calling for you to love them. It's not faking. It's walking in your God-ordained purpose and being a helper and calling out that thing inside of them that has been sleeping and that needs to be awakened. And when you use all of your feminine qualities to call that thing out in a man, you are walking in the purpose that God has designed for you. That's why Adam went on to say, this one right here, oh, this one. See, the, the, ladies, if, if, if your man ain't boasting about you, let him go. Because that's what this word is. What it says that Adam said is it, literally saying that he boasted and he acted proudly. He was certifying that this one right here, now at last, like this one, is flesh in my flesh, bone in my bone. So, ladies, if, if he ain't boasting about you, let him go. If you're sitting around wondering, what are we? Women love that question. What are we? It's a good question. It really is. It's a very good question. What are we? If you, but if you're wondering what you are, if you're wondering why he won't post you on social media, if you're wondering why he won't put you up on, on, on Instagram, why he ain't double tapping on your pictures, you better call Elsa from Frozen. Let it go. Just let it go. Let it go. And here's why. Here's why you need to let it go. You are more valuable than that. You, God has created you in such a way that you deserve somebody that's going to stand up and boast about you. Ladies, I don't care what your life was like before you were in Christ. When you're in Christ, you got there's something to boast about in you. I got to move. He says that this is at last. This is bone of my bone. What he's saying is that this 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 is the this woman is the very essence of me. She is the substance of me. See, you you can never say you love me and disrespect my wife. Because first of all. I'll put hands on you. That's number one. We can be clear. We'll rumble. That's just what it's going to be. Second off, though, she is me. She is me. That word means the, the bone of my bone. It's talking about the self-same. It's, it's the exact same. She's the exact same as me. So if you think you're going to disrespect my wife, you disrespected me. And I'm just a little off and from Camden, and I don't play that stuff. So be careful. Just watch yourself. But that's why I find it funny, too, when people say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. The church is his bride. How you 
disrespecting his bride and think you're respecting him. How, how, how are you disrespecting the bride of Christ, the one who he gave up his life for, the one he gave up his life to purchase? How do you do that? I don't know. Here's what I know. Stop it. Okay? Stop. Just, just stop the games. If you, if you want to say, I've been hurt by people in the church, like things have happened to me while I was at church, and, you know, it's a little hard for me to, to kind of deal with people who, who, who are in that space and who are in that realm. It's just a little difficult for me. Just be honest about that. Jesus doesn't have nothing to do with that. Jesus already, he already determined and displayed his love for you when he died on the cross for you. And when he died on the cross for you, guess what he said? He says that upon this rock, I'm going to build something for you that's going to be a source for you to be able to walk in the newness of life that I have designed for you. The church. He says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I got to move. See, the, the, the woman ought to be as close to you as your skin. You, you are one when you are married, when you, when you get a wife and a husband, you are one in the realest sense. They ought to be as close to you as your skin. So what that means is, is that when they hurt, you ought to hurt. I'm going to prove it to you. Anybody ever got a, a paper cut? That thing be all over your body. Like what is happening? Like, why is the back of my neck hurting? I got cut on my finger. Like, what is going on? You just feel the thing everywhere. That's what it ought to be like when you when you are when you're when you're in, in a marriage. When they hurt, you hurt. When they happy, you happy. When they warm and feeling good, you ought to be warm and feeling good. Amen. I'm gonna keep moving. Listen, <laughs> oneness. Here's what oneness does. This is my last idea. Oneness sets us free from shame. See, verse 24, he says that this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. See, this leaving here, it, it, it's an abandonment. And in the sense that I want you to understand this is that there are things that we have to abandon and relinquish if we are going to walk in relationship with our spouse. And here's what that looks like. There are some things that you got from your daddy that you're going to have to abandon if you are going to love your spouse the way that God is calling you for, for, to love them. See, the father is the producer or the generator of things. So there are some things that were produced in you because of your father. Some of you, there was the anger that was produced in you because your father was always angry. Some of you, there's a sense of laziness that was produced in you because your father was never there for you and he never got up and went to work and he never showed himself to be a man in your life. But when you come into a, a marriage, when you come into the relationship, God is saying, abandon all of that stuff so that you could be bound to your spouse. See, the mother is, is metaphorically, is one who bestows benefits on others. So there are some things, fellas, 
that there's some benefits that you need to let go of that you got from mama. Let me speak very plainly. Stop being a mama's boy. See, there's some things that you that you got from mama, some benefits that you got from mama. Her cornbread <laughs> that was cooked in a cast iron skillet, as it should be. <laughs> See, mama folded your clothes a particular way. And then you get married and your wife, she's trying to be, do her best to do what she can do for you, folding your clothes and whatnot. And you go, that ain't the way you fold them. My mama ain't fold them like that. Go sit down. Listen, if you're going to bond with your wife, you've got to abandon that stuff. You've got to abandon the benefits that you thought you, per- that, that you perceived that you had in your mama so that you can get some other benefits. Come on, listen. We grown in here. I ain't letting nobody, I ain't holding my tongue. Listen, because next it says that you're going to be bound. You got to abandon, you got to leave your mother and father and be bound to your spouse. Be bound to her. That means you got to cling or stick. You got to stay close. Cleave to them. The word can also mean to chase by pursuit. If you're going to bond with your wife, fellas, listen to me, then you must pursue her. You did all this stuff to get her. Now you got her and you sit back with your feet up on the couch and you don't do nothing. Like you, you're good. See, here's what I believe is that you start dating your spouse after you get married. See, the stuff you was doing before, that was cute stuff. But you really start dating them after you're married. And you've got to pursue her. You've got to pursue her if you're going to be bound to her. So that you can become one flesh. See, becoming means that, you exper- that, that your experience of life is the same. And here, here's, here's one of the practical implications for how this occurs. Being one flesh. It, it, it be one flesh. In other words, because it's one flesh here, it, it, the flesh talks about your nakedness. You got to be joined together in your nakedness. Y'all quiet. Y'all, come on. Stop playing. Y'all quiet. Y'all got to be joined in your nakedness. And I know it's kids in here, but guess what? We need to stop letting our kids hear about sex from other people. We got to let them hear about sex from us. And then we wonder why our kids is all distorted and jacked up when it comes to sexual things. It's because we always treated sex like it was something that you got to stay away from. Like you couldn't talk about it. Like you can't relate to them the design that God has for sex. Sex was his idea. We didn't make it up. It was his idea. So there's got to be a joining of your nakedness. You got to have some sex. Married people, married people, hear me. You got to have some sex. Fellowship. Amen. 
See, the devil's plan is this. The devil's plan is to get you in bed before you're married. And his plan is to keep you out of the bed once he gets, once you get married. That's his plan. That's what he seeks to do. That's how he distorts. It's just that he's come to, to, to steal, to kill, and destroy. Would the enemy would love nothing more than to steal the very essence of what, and the beauty of what God has created for his people and distort it so that people who, ha- who are supposed to have it don't have it. See, the enemy would love to kill off your intimacy with each other because he knows if he can kill that off, then he can kill off the godliness that comes from having intimacy in a God-filled relationship. So instead of being loving towards each other and caring towards each other and raising children in God's plan, you are angry and walking around frustrated with one another and things don't get accomplished. So we've got to understand very clearly that sex in God's plan is exclusive. It's between a man and his wife. There's an exclusivity that comes with sex. And here's what I, here's what I know. I know this with all my heart. That all of the bad vibes and bad things that have happened to you around sex is because it wasn't exclusive sex. He cheated on you. He stepped outside of the exclusivity of the relationship and went towards another. He started watching pornography and looking after other women that he wasn't able to connect with in lieu of connecting with you. So it has to be exclusive, and it has to be mutual. There, listen, there ain't no forcing when it comes to sex. Any sex that is forced is not godly. Hear me. It's just not. It's not of God. And it's got to be generous. Corinthians talks about us not withholding from one another, but giving up of our bodies and relinquishing the authority over our bodies to somebody else. We're going to have a whole series about sex soon, so we're going to get to talk about that. But let me close this. It says, but the man and the woman were naked and they felt no shame. See, this nakedness talks about the bareness or the poorly cladness of our lives. In other words, it talks about the raggediness of our lives. So this, this love that I'm talking about here, this oneness of love, you, you will love somebody even when they are raggedy. And that's, that's what God is calling for us to do. Why? Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God has called you to love in the same way that he loves. Therefore, 
You've got to love even the sinner. We talked about this last week. Love even the, the one who sins against you, the one who, who lives like your enemy in the moment. And it says that they were naked and they felt no shame. They were, there was no disappointment between them. And maybe you're here today and you, you, you have a bit of shame about your life. You, you, you feel the shame and the, the burden of some of the decisions that you've made in your life. And, and you feel as if there's no answer for you. But I'm going to let you know today that, that God sent his son Jesus into the world to take away the sin and the shame. So you don't have to hold on to the shame that you feel. You don't have to hold on to the shame that's, that, that, that you feel around the decisions that you've made. Because l- listen to me, we've all made bad choices. Let me give you some Bible. Scripture says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you're here today and you feel like you just got too much shame, I want to encourage you that there is a God who loves you in spite of your shame. And he wants to trade that shame for his salvation. He wants to trade that sin for his love. And God wants to give you fullness of life in him so that you can walk in the newness of relationship that he's called for you to have. So I want to pray for anyone in the sound of my voice today, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray for those who might be dealing with shame today. Maybe they've made some decisions in their life. Those might have been sexual decisions. Those might have been bad relationship decisions. They might be currently living in that. But God, I pray that you would let them know today that you will exchange their shame and that you would give them hope and joy Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified today through your people, God. Speak a word to them, God. Make it plain. Make it clear. Help them to trade the shame. I know that this love that we're talking about is an unashamed love. We've got nothing to be ashamed of. Because Jesus has given us the solution to our shame. Father, I pray your blessing today over these people. Bless the word that will forth, God. Let it not fall on hard ground, but let it fall on firm soil. That it might spring.